Welcome to the Phoenix Infidelity Podcast, the podcast for betrayed men by betrayed men. Here we shed light on the topic of infidelity from a first-hand experience as well as from a professional counseling perspective. If you would like more information on how to book a one-on-one counseling session, just send us an email to info at phoenixinfidelity.com. In this conversation, we talk about the strong predictors of infidelity according to John Gottman. We also discuss how long it normally takes for a woman to become discontent to the point that she considers being unfaithful to her partner. We touch on the common dynamic in a relationship where men seem to be less agreeable and women seem to be more sensitive to negative emotions. Finally, we try to answer the question of whether a woman would cheat even in a perfect world where men never make mistakes. So, let's jump right into it. We've got work to do. I'm back here with Anfred Klein-Werner. And if you listen to the first part of the series, we dealt with a few variables or a few predictors of infidelity, mainly this controversial idea of hypergamy and mainly this feeling of not being loved from the woman's side. Now, to continue this conversation, I went onto the Gottman website again and I found some interesting data, specific predictors that John Gottman and his wife Judy, I think, have identified several factors that they've identified as strong predictors of infidelity. So I'm just going to read through them and then we can address them individually. Negative communication patterns, emotional disconnection, lack of positive interactions, lack of intimacy, relationship dissatisfaction, and a history of infidelity. So these are the, these are the strong ones. The first one, Onfred, when he talks about negative communication patterns. Here they highlight the four horsemen, as they call it. The contempt, one seems to develop for one another, criticism, defensiveness, or stonewalling. Can you speak to this specific point a little bit? Do you identify those four horsemen in your clients a lot? Is this a good predictor in your opinion? It is quite a good predictor. And if we look at those individually, You'll have a look that they're they're quite negative things, right? Contempt, criticism, defensiveness, stonewalling. All of those speak to disconnection. You notice that people who are caring about each other and who feel connected, they don't have contempt for each other. They don't criticize each other. They don't stonewall. They they may be defensive when they feel accused. That 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 makes sense. But most of these show that there's disconnection between couples and disconnection is the main predictor in my experience that ends up being a main factor of couples uh, or at least of um, the woman wanting to find someone else who's going to care for her who's going to love her who's going to meet her emotional needs and that ends up in some kind of betrayal. So yeah, um, you can imagine that if someone is being criticized a lot uh, or one of the spouses is stonewalling, in other words, just not speaking to the other, 
that a person's going to feel lonely, a person's going to feel unloved, uncared for. Um, defensiveness is an interesting one. Defensiveness is quite normal for all of us. As soon as you get blamed for something, you want to defend yourself. And, and that's normal because that's all you saw in the uh, home that you grew up because that's what your parents did. When they were accusing each other, they would just defend. The problem with defensiveness here is that there isn't room for taking responsibility. The person, instead of saying, yeah, I did this wrong and, and I'm really sorry, they're saying, well, this is why I did it and you must understand and these are my reasons and, and, and you need to just remember that I also have, you know, so it's all about um, not taking responsibility for hurting the other person, but trying to make oneself look innocent, thereby not really uh, resolving the conflict. And so conflict remains and um, that then indicates why it would be a good predictor of betrayal in the future. Yeah, as far as I can remember, the data they got from following couples for, I think, two decades was um, if they spot contempt in the conversation, they could predict divorce with over a 90% accuracy rate. So I think it was with 95% probability they could predict divorce. So contempt does really seem to be the, um, the straw that breaks the camel's back. However, something really interesting that I read in an article on the Gottman website was that these negative interactions, like content, for example, happen even in healthy marriages, but they're quickly repaired and replaced with validation and empathy. So for the majority of my marriage, I really felt that contempt was not present at all. But I did see contempt creep in as soon as the emotional affair started between my, my ex-spouse and the affair partner. And especially as my value, as my perceived value dropped in her eyes, I could see the contempt just rising and rising, almost by a minute-to-minute -minute basis. And um, I can testify to the fact that that was truly, I think, the one, the one thing that that destroyed the relationship at the end of the day. Yeah, I definitely agree with you. There is definitely space to repair those things. But sometimes what happens is that the spouse has kind of made up their mind that they don't want to stay with the spouse that they've betrayed. And in order to help them to cement their decision, they start fault-finding and finding more reasons to have contempt and so any little thing that the betrayed spouse does or the betrayed partner does, which can fuel the contempt, is going to be latched onto for contempt to grow. Because the spouse that's betraying is still having to deal with their own guilt of the betrayal and their decision to you know, leave the spouse or just wanting to leave the spouse and so the critical eye really grows and as as more things can be criticized that contempt can grow and then it kind of justifies almost justifies for the betraying spouse the reasons why they want to leave i guess it uh, it all boils maybe down to the level of contempt that has already accumulated so maybe within a healthy marriage a little bit of contempt is is maybe possible to um to remedy at the end of the day. The next one is emotional disconnection. And I'm going to throw this together with a lack of intimacy. It says here, if a couple is emotionally distant or disconnected from each other, 
can make them vulnerable to infidelity. And if a couple has low level of intimacy, both emotional and physical, it can make them more vulnerable to infidelity. So from a personal perspective, I also feel culpable in this case because I feel that towards the end of our 16-year marriage, I wasn't contributing enough to make uh, the, the sexual element of our relationship novel. And, you know, I, I feel like I need to take a lot of that responsibility onto myself for, for not having, like Esther Perel says, sex is not something you do, it's somewhere you go, which I think is such a brilliant statement. And it's something I didn't realize at that time. So do you want to maybe speak to this um, in terms of what you see in your practice? So I definitely see the emotional disconnection as, the, as a huge factor which contributes towards infidelity from the woman's side. So where the man isn't uh, regularly supporting his wife emotionally through whatever she may be going through, whether it's situations with the kids or situations with family or friends or work or financial pressure that they might be under, if she isn't feeling that support and that emotional connection that she can talk and share her heart, then that leaves room for someone else to come along and meet that need. And that could be a friend, a girlfriend, or it could be someone at work, a, a man, a man who is there and notices, you know, notices her and she starts speaking and sharing. And suddenly this new person is meeting those emotional needs and a connection starts. For women, most times it's not about sexual connection, it's about an emotional connection. And there are times when, they, when it is about a sexual connection, but that's far and few between in my practice. I have had this situation, certainly, but very rarely. It's usually an emotional connection which has been ruptured. Um, the, the man doesn't know how to support his wife emotionally. And so these are the things which, in my experience, have led to betrayal. The next one is relationship dissatisfaction. If a couple is not satisfied with their relationship or their partner, it can increase the likelihood of infidelity. And, I mean, that seems seems quite obvious but here's my question how long does a woman feel unsatisfied before she starts thinking about going outside the marriage is it a three minute crisis is it a three week is it three months it feels to me like what we went through in my mind was a very short period of disconnect but my ex-partner would probably tell you that she's been going through a profound existential crisis for the better half of a decade. So I think there was a communication problem there. But, you know, how long does a woman feel unsatisfied before before she would even think of going outside the marriage? Or is that very subjective? It is subjective. However, it's not short. It's not a couple of months. It's years if a woman is feeling unsatisfied in the relationship, she's going to try and try and try. She's going to try and hold on. She's going to talk to her girlfriends. She's going to talk to her parents, her family, um, sisters. She's going to, and, and they're going to give her advice like, you know, we all go through this. I know it's hard. Just hang in there. She might go to a spiritual leader or mentor. She might start seeking professional advice. It's going to take a long time before she becomes 
ready to fall into a, a, a relationship, an extramarital relationship. So we're definitely talking about uh, a year, more than a year, probably we're looking at a year or two, three. And I wanted to speak to dissatisfaction. The dissatisfaction is really all about, are we still happy? Are we still happy as a couple and specifically from the woman's side? Are my needs being met? Are we having fun together? Are we building, making memories together? Do I feel cared for? Does he make decisions with me? Does he do his own thing? Um, do we do things together? Do we go on dates? All that kind of uh, contributes towards whether there's satisfaction in the relationship or not. And when that hasn't happened for years, the woman is ripe for some kind of infidelity, some kind of betrayal. Yeah, that's interesting stuff. So what I'm hearing from you is in your personal experience, um, it takes a while for the woman to even consider having either an emotional or sexual affair. And let's take this as general. There's outliers on both sides all the time. But in general, if I put the microscope back on my, onto my past and my situation, would that mean that I was blind to her dissatisfaction for over a year? Is it possible for me to have missed that much of her disconnect in the relationship? I want to say this with as little judgment as possible because there is no judgment. We men, myself included, live sometimes for decades oblivious of how our wives or partners actually feel because we have become quite unsafe for them to tell us how they feel. And so they can't tell us what they're really feeling because we dismiss it or we feel accused and so we become defensive or, you know, these horsemen of the apocalypse, we become critical or defensive or stonewall. And so as a result, women don't actually share with us what, we're, what they're really feeling. And so they will then suffer in silence for sometimes a decade. And then suddenly some man appears, they are ready to be cared for, and someone appears who meets those emotional needs. Wow, that's great insight, Andre. Um, the next point is lack of positive interactions. This is a fascinating one. Because what they discovered is if a couple has a low ratio of positive to negative interactions, it increases the likelihood of infidelity. Um, I think what they found was a one to five ratio. So five positive interactions in contrast to one negative interaction. That's in quotation marks healthy or normal. Um, if it goes below five positive interactions, it becomes risky. And very interesting, if it goes above, I think it's 11 positive interactions, it also doesn't work because it means one of the partners are not challenging the other enough. In my personal experience, this is something that happened in our marriage. We very rarely um, fought. Towards the end, we were having a lot of discussions and yeah, fights um, just because of the tension of this emotional affair that I was identifying between her and my best friend. But for the better half of 16 years, or for the majority of 16 years, we rarely fought. And 
I always saw this as a type of a, a trophy that I, that I held up to, um, as proof of how strong our relationship is and how compatible we are. But I now see it as a bit of a red flag because it means we weren't challenging one another enough. Um, or at least maybe she was being more agreeable than she should have instead of putting her foot down and saying, I don't want to do it like this. Um, can you speak to this idea of positive versus negative interaction? So, yeah, definitely. You can imagine if a couple is continually finding fault, you know, it's being critical or, again, you know, making defensive statements, it chips away at the strength of the relationship. And they're going to end up saying, I don't want to be with you because you're always finding fault about something. You always have something negative to say. You're always moaning about something. Sometimes it's me, sometimes it's other people. And after a while, the spouse says, I don't want to be with you anymore. I've had enough. And so it's very, very important to address those negative interactions. Yes, it's quite normal for a couple to have a situation where the wife or even the husband, but we're obviously addressing, we're talking about the wife now, where the wife doesn't share her frustration. She doesn't talk about the um, annoyance of the negative interactions. She just sucks it up and just accepts it and doesn't feel comfortable to challenge it and to address it. And so the husband is merely thinking, oh, we get on so well and we never fight or argue. Meantime, she just doesn't feel comfortable to address things. And that's not necessarily the man's fault. It could just be her own upbringing. She hasn't learned how to address things, how to challenge things. And so she never does. And then he thinks all is going well in our relationship. But actually, back at the ranch, things are not going so well. He just didn't know about it. Yeah, that's at the end um, what I saw happened. And one of the last conversations we had was that she told me she felt defeated, which, you know, I, I, I broke down in tears when she told me that because that was not my intention at all, to be um, bulldozing her into this position where she felt that she could never um, put her foot down and stand her ground, right, and challenge me. Um, but I guess that's how we learn and that's how we grow. These are um, strong predictors of infidelity. I just want to interrupt you quickly. Yeah. I just want to speak to that a little bit because in my own experience, in my relationship or my marriage, it, it's been the same. I um, ended up discovering that my wife felt that she's always losing, maybe not being bulldozed, but, well, no, bulldozed maybe as well. Because what what I said, I you know I stated with conviction, and she always felt that she was wrong. She felt that she didn't have a say, and so as a result, these kind of interactions leave the woman feeling he's always right, he's always winning. I'm always wrong. I'm not good enough. I'm not clever enough. I'm not enough, and nobody wants to be in in a situation like that. That's a very to, very negative space to be in, and it sometimes does cause women to after many years suddenly someone comes along who shows interest is uh, you know showing affirmation and compliments and likes her views and she suddenly goes wow this is what I've been looking for 
and the emotional affair starts and that turns into a sexual affair as well. Some personal advice we could maybe give to the guys. Um, if you find yourself in the situation where your spouse or partner feels bulldozed, uh, the book How to Win Friends and Influence People was a big um, game changer for me in terms of how I approach disagreements, not only within a romantic relationship, but also outside of that. And really trying to steel man the other person's argument, as um, you know, Sam Harris and Jordan Peterson always say, you try and put that argument of that person into better words than he or she could even do, and tr really try to understand their point of view before you try and impose your opinion onto them. And um, that would be, from a personal experience, my advice. It's, it's really been a game changer for me to just step back and put yourself in the other person's shoes before you, um, before you react with what you believe is true. Do you have other advice for guys that feel that they're being the bulldozers in the relationship? I think that advice is, is very good. And in my book on resolving conflict, I talk about the value of listening to your spouse, your partner, when they share their views and listening to them in such a way that you repeat what they say so that you can show them that you understand just what you were explaining now. Because everybody wants to be heard. And one of the things that I discovered in, in my relationship is that my wife was accusing me that I don't understand her. And I thought, oh my goodness, how could you say that? Because, you know, I've got a couple of years of psychology, I've done counseling courses. How can you say I'm not listening? I don't understand you. And it was very simple. I never actually said to her, hey, yeah, that makes sense. I understand what you're saying. What I would do is I would hear her out and then give her my side of the story, give her my opinion on what she was saying. And it just made her feel as if what she was saying was completely invalidated and, and was wrong. And so that's where the idea of being bulldozed, I suppose, comes in again. And I win and she loses. And so one doesn't want to create that. This is a relationship that you're in where you want the other person to be, to feel known, to feel loved. And so when they share their heart with you, even if it's a concept that you may not agree with, the idea is to show them that you're hearing them by simply just repeating what they're saying, thereby acknowledging them and discovering and, and then asking more questions. Say, so... You know, you, you think this, tell, tell me what more, you know, what else are you thinking about that? Because it's quite interesting. You don't have to tell them that you don't agree. You can leave that for another conversation. Discover what's, what's really on their heart about this whole situation that they've just raised. Whether it's political, whether it's something religious, whether it's just a philosophical idea that you may completely disagree with. Discover what they think. Because relationships about being known and loved, warts and all. And this may be a wart for you. You may think, oh, this is an ugly wart. I don't like this the way they think. Well, love them anyway. Show them that you are hearing them and understanding them. And they will feel loved, even if you may not agree with it. I think that's excellent. I think we're touching on a very important point here. Because the data seem to show that men on average are less agreeable than women. And women, on average, are higher in neuroticism. 
So you more often than not have this dynamic of the guy being more assertive and the woman being more agreeable and then being higher in eroticism, which means she's more sensitive to the negative emotions. So when she feels bulldozed, that uh, she ruminates on that and that has a larger impact on her emotionally than it would otherwise. So it's almost like we're on average again, you will have outliers on, on both sides, but on average, it's almost like we're set up in a, in a heterosexual relationship for this dynamic of the guy being the more assertive bulldozing one and the woman feeling, ah, I'm not really being listened to. So this is excellent advice that you're giving. 100%. It's not 100% on my excellent advice, but 100% on what you're saying. And the research um, bears that out. We, we need to come to a point, and we will definitely talk about this in, in another session, where we are completely secure in ourselves. And we don't need to be pushing our opinion because we want someone to agree. No, people are going to agree, they're going to disagree. It doesn't matter. You're precious anyway. You're valuable. Your opinion matters. Don't have to push it so hard and let your spouse or partner feel ang anxious because of your dogmatism. Excellent. Excellent stuff. Um, the last point on the list is the history of infidelity, which I don't think we have to go into in depth. It's just uh, a fact that if one or both of the partners have a history of infidelity, it can increase the likelihood of it happening again. But maybe that's on the list for how to prevent infidelity and how to maybe choose a new partner and identify possible red flags. In this conversation, we've talked about a lot of variables of what not to do and predictors of infidelity. In the next conversation, we'll talk about maybe starting a new relationship, looking for red flags and what to do and, um, you know, making sure you can, for what it's worth, try and infidelity proof yourself. But my last question to you is, if we had lived in a world where every man does exactly what he needs to do in terms of emotional support and thinking about hypergamy, being high value in terms of resources and keeping novelty in the bedroom, um, do we then live in a world where women don't cheat? Is that what we end up having? I'm very tempted to say yes. Except where this, we have a situation where there's sexual addiction. But definitely in a perfect world where a man is doing all the things that he needs to do, he can infidelity proof his relationship unless he's married to a sex addict. And that doesn't happen very often. I think I agree with you. However, we don't live in a perfect world. And unfortunately, we are human and we make mistakes. I remember a conversation with a friend as I was going through the storm of infidelity where I asked him, I asked him straight, did I fuck up? And he was like, yeah, you did. But guess what? We all fuck up. And it sort of blew the, 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 the clouds of self-chastising. It, it blew the clouds away a little bit because I felt that you know, we all go through times where we don't do everything perfect in the relationship, but it doesn't necessarily mean that the partner needs to react in a, a deceitful or deceptive way. Um, mm, I think it's a good point. And I think we may have touched on this before. And, and that is namely that women are generally very forgiving and they will 
give you a lot of rope to kind of hang yourself and you have to take all that rope before eventually uh, it's time where she says to herself you know what I can't deal with this anymore and so you can make mistakes I think the most important thing when you do make mistakes is to to go back and say hey I'm sorry I I wish I could have been there more for you and I think we'll that'll kind of connect to some of the other questions that we're going to be discussing today I think if you could speak to the women for just one minute um, if they find themselves at a space where you know they don't feel emotionally supported and they maybe are opening up the idea of seeking that support somewhere else like what would you say to the women to not cross that line or just before they cross the line, is there something they could do? Is it already too late? Like what, what, what should they do? At that point, it's almost too late. But what I would say is get help. Speak to your partner, speak to your spouse, say to him, hey, we need to get some help because our relationship is not in a great place. A better, even a better statement would be, we need to get help because I'm not happy. And when a woman says to her partner, I'm not happy, that's a lot more effective than to say our relationship isn't in a great place because men don't really want their wives or their partners to be unhappy. So I think that's quite a helpful statement. We need to get help because I'm not happy and I don't think you are either. That kind of statement is, is going to make a big difference so that they can get help and then address the things which are currently creating this rift between them which invariably is the reason why she is going to be looking for support or needing support because she's not getting enough support emotional and otherwise from her man. We talked a little bit about your relationship as well, where you also feel or your wife maybe felt at some stages that you were being over dominating in some of the conversations. And did she communicate that to you? Um, like, do you have this relationship with your wife where when she's unhappy with something, she immediately voices that? Um, is or, or do you also find that sometimes it, it takes a while to understand um, why she's maybe pulling away emotionally? Um, what is your strategy in your marriage to, to prevent the, the relationship from getting to that point? So generally... Um, she will speak to me if there's something that's bothering her. It's a good question. How long does she wait before she speaks to me? I'd actually have to ask her. I haven't honestly thought about asking that question. So when she says to me, hey, this is really bothering me, I haven't really asked the question, so how long has this been bothering you? But that's a good question I should ask her. Generally, um, there are some things that may bother her which she's not going to raise because she feels, ach, it's not a big deal. But then other times, if it continues... You know, for whatever reasons, I'm, I'm stressed or, you know, there's challenges. And so I become a little bit short, a little bit less patient. She'll let it slide for a while. But then after a couple of days, she'll say, you know what, hey, I've noticed that you've become very short or you've become impatient or a little bit harsh lately. and I'm not feeling really happy about that. Well, I'm, I, that's really bothering me or it's hurting me. So that's how she will address it. Yeah, I think from my side, um, what we need to make clear is that the the idea or the fact that the woman maybe feels 
alone and emotionally abandoned does not exonerate her from, um, you know, acting in deceit. Um, it feels to me like a mature human being would enter into uh, a conversation and try to negotiate um, when she or he feels that things are bothering them. Um, you know, instead of just waiting until they eventually implode and, um, you know, start engaging in an emotional or a sexual affair. 100% I agree. Unfortunately, very often a dominant man is married to a very uh, submissive or timid woman who isn't going to speak up. So that's why he needs to be aware of how he's coming across. If he is very sensitive to her needs and her thoughts and her feelings, then she's going to feel safe to be honest and open about how she feels. But if his um, perspective is, hey, this is me, if she's got a problem, she must say something, but she must she must also realize that's how I am and she must also deal with it. If that's going to be his perspective or his thought processes, then he's really saying, you know what, I'm not going to be there for my wife. I'm not going to be loving and supporting and understanding and compassionate um, towards her about the things that I'm doing that's hurting her. She must just accept me the way I am. And that's going to eventually push her far enough away to say, hey, I don't feel supported. I don't feel loved. And when someone else comes along that's willing to, to provide that support and love, she may well be tempted uh, into a relationship. Yeah, that's great insight, Anfred. Um, I think what I'm hearing is we should all take responsibility uh, on both sides for um, you know what we bring to the table. And we're definitely going to touch on more of this in the next conversation. Thank you so much for your time, as always. Um, I'll see you in the next one. All right. It's been good to chat. Thank you very much. We'll chat again soon. If you would like more information on how to book a one-on-one -on -one counseling session, just send us an email to info at phoenixinfidelity.com.